Welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Unity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us again this week for our live weekly market updates, uh, where we're going to cover off uh, everything we saw last week, what we see coming up this week. And, uh, and of course, we're going to touch on uh, value invested. I've mentioned value versus growth a few times uh, in 2021, just how we see things shaping up a little bit more on the value arena for 2021. So we're gonna uh, take a look what that means and a few uh, few specific names in that area uh, and hopefully answer some of those questions. Uh, but with that, as always, remember everything we cover on here is for information purposes only. Uh, do, you know, uh, do not take it as specific advice for you. Everyone's situation is unique and you should always uh, talk to a professional and do your own due diligence before applying any of these strategies to your portfolios. And as always, reach out to us at mikeonmoney.com. We're happy to answer any of your questions. You can book uh, a meeting with me directly there. My calendar is on there. Uh, or see our other material, videos, and podcasts. Uh, or just uh, our, fire us an email or give us a call. Uh, and if you're watching this live, the, of course, you can always answer your questions here. Just click that Q&A button. Uh, we'll try to get to them today, uh, or we get a lot of people sending them in to us afterwards. Uh, we'll, of course, we'll always follow up. If you're watching this on the replay or listening on the podcast, again, just send in your questions. Uh, happy to answer any of those that you might have. So with that, let's dive into uh, to what's going on. So uh, we're looking at uh, down in the U.S., the uh, Dallas uh, Federal Reserve Bank is uh, holding a, uh, a virtual uh, discussion talking about the world agricultural supply and the demand. And of course, uh, we've talked about the inflation theme. Uh, we're definitely seeing those inflationary numbers around uh, agricultural and food goods uh, more and more uh, as things pick up. Uh, but also as uh, costs are uh, constantly increasing on, on that, and, and the pandemic has not made that easier. Uh, so, uh, so we're going to hopefully get a little bit more insight on kind of where 2021 is tracking, uh, you know, at least on uh, agricultural goods as far as inflation goes this year. So if you followed us the last couple of weeks, we have seen a bit of a sell-off in the market. Nothing that we're really concerned about. Uh, a little bit of jitters out there with the, um, the stimulus package in the U.S., a little bit of jitters with uh, Europe inflation. Uh, so we saw some profit coming off the table. Tech was uh, obviously hit a little bit high, harder um, in the last couple of weeks, but uh, that shifted a little bit this week back into the positives. We've seen a bit of a rally in yesterday. Not so much in tech yesterday, but that has started to pick up today where the, uh, the NASDAQ uh, saw some stronger numbers this morning, uh, and, and the broad index S&P also saw some stronger numbers yesterday and today. So pretty much on track is where we were expecting things uh, after a little bit of a sell-off there. Uh, as far as the pandemic uh, affecting things, uh, you know, Airbnb, which went public last year, uh, late last year, uh, it, still suffering quite a bit uh, on their numbers. Uh, in Europe, though, you, know, you want to find the silver lining. Uh, of course, you know, here in North America and around the world, the Airbnb phenomenon did cause a bit of a housing crisis. You know, uh, people were buying up places 
but instead of putting them on the long-term rental market, uh, you know, I call it market pricing. Uh, a lot of people were opting for using their places for Airbnb, uh, where they felt they could charge a premium for short-term rentals, and uh, and they were filling up enough to to justify that. So a lot of those affordable housing or affordable rental places were off the market and being uh, taken up by the Airbnb uh, inventories. Well, that started to reverse. We're seeing a lot in Europe right now where people are converting those Airbnbs back to long-term rentals, uh, you know, given more affordable uh, rents and prices for the locals. Uh, and we're seeing as much as a 15% shift from Airbnb over to, uh, over to rentals. So, uh, Call it a silver lining, certainly for those who are trying to live in the higher priced areas, you know, here in Vancouver, of course, that's a constant problem. And in Toronto, uh, Toronto has been a little bit more volatile than other areas as far as the rental and uh, condo markets or, rent or, or downtown markets go. Um, but they've had their stints uh, where things, the pricing have gone out of control as well. Uh, the White House is having, uh, you know, some of their uh, testing Biden's administration to some of their their, uh, their promises. Well, many of their promises. We, we uh, I think we covered last week. We talked about the the minimum wage promise, uh, and they're having challenges there. And also getting out the stimulus checks, which hopefully those are going. Uh, but they're also on the poverty and pollution front. Uh, uh, a U.S. Virgin Island resident, so Lauren Hughes, a longtime resident there. I started to notice some oily specks, sub, sub, oily specks uh, of oily substance, sorry, speck, speck on his home and some of his neighbors. Um, he hadn't seen that kind of uh, issue since their, uh, the refinery had, uh, had been shut down or, or uh, closed down for a period of time. And uh, right, right away when they saw that, they realized it had reopened. Uh, and uh, while it brought back a lot of jobs for the residents, uh, but it also brought uh, uh, health issues, difficulty breathing, headaches, watery eyes. So, you know, it's this balance between poverty or, or um, economy and, and pollution. And, and one of the big things with the Biden or the Democratic uh, Party going into the election was to promise to bring that, uh, bring that balance or uh, certainly bring uh, more green technology uh, and, and better health, uh, better health for the environment. So we're going to have to see how they handle things there, uh, because as we do see oil starting to make a bit of a comeback in demand, um, you know, all the, all these things that were all those taps that were turned off in the oil industry, uh, you know, how the Biden administration is going to uh, deal with that, whether it's going to be diverted to cleaner technologies or, um, you know, how they're going to deal with bringing production back online. Uh, game of drones. So the Chinese giant DJI uh, was hit by U.S. tensions. So if you follow this, we've talked about it quite a bit over the last year under the last administration and continues under the, the current where uh, many, many Chinese, especially in the tech uh, arena, uh, companies uh, were being uh, limited and facing sanctions on their shareholders um, as far as uh, being on the blacklist for uh, doing business in the United States. Uh, and DJI, which had built up a very successful U.S. business over the last decade, pretty much dominating the drone market, uh, been hit pretty hard, and uh, they've seen internal reductions. But on top of that, they're starting to see staff um, leaving in droves as, as they're more and more concerned about the future there uh, and going to other competitors 
so a bit of a shift in the uh, the tech markets uh, for Chinese companies operating in the United States that's uh, going to continue on, I, I would imagine, through 2021, uh, as those tensions between China and the U.S. have not really subsided. Uh, the U.S., we, as I just mentioned, the, uh, the COVID, uh, $1,400 COVID bill payment uh, could be going out within days. It looks like it's all approved by the Democrats, so that portion of the bill anyway. Uh, going out the child tax credits, uh, still a little bit of bait happening there, might not happen uh, as quickly, but at least part of the stimulus checks will be going out. Uh, so we'll see that uh, start to hit people's hands in the United States in the coming weeks. And of course, uh, that's part of the reason why we're seeing a bit of that, <laughs> that uptick in the markets as that, uh, that optimism returns that there'll be more cash flow and more support going to, uh, to the US citizens. Uh, as I mentioned, the U.S. stocks started to rise. We also saw some inventory to sales numbers uh, really increasing. So the inventory numbers for January increased substantially, uh, which was good to see. That means manufacturing and uh, supply chains are back online. Um, but we also saw a sale of surge, which basically wiped out those, uh, those wholesaler shelves as quickly as they filled them. So that's really positive for faster economic growth uh, in this year. Uh, doesn't mean we might not dip into another uh, uh, potential recession with high unemployment, but it does it does bode well that it will it'll be short lived and it'll be uh, turned around quickly within the year. So as long as we can keep those numbers moving, and of course the stimulus checks will help that. Uh, U.S. lawmakers are introducing are looking to introduce a bill to give uh, U.S. United Postal Service six billion dollars to go by EV or electric delivery vehicles. This is part of the Biden administration's uh, promise to switch their fleets over to electric vehicles. So this is step one uh, and probably one of the easier ones. I don't know if you saw, they had some photos of the new uh, concept vehicles. Uh, it certainly, certainly didn't go for beauty in the design, but maybe functionality is what they were going for if you happen to see it. Uh, but uh, fully electric, obviously, uh, environmentally and cost-wise uh, better for the long run. So uh, we'll see that uh, that bill is going to be pushed forward uh, probably without too much interruption there. Harley-Davidson's uh, kind of shifting to the Detroit or the car manufacturer's playbook uh, to pursue younger riders. I mean, obviously, uh, Harley-Davidson has always been much more attractive to the, uh, the older crowds, uh, being more of a premium brand, uh, more of a, I don't want to say an old person's uh, motorcycle, uh, because I know a lot of young people that uh, do like them, uh, but they're branching out to new markets, trying to uh, try to really build out a uh, used market to try to bring, bring in younger people at lower costs uh, to get into the brand. Uh, and they've also, a couple of years ago, introduced a fully electric model, uh, which is a beautiful one. So, you know, if you're interested in getting out on the open roads, there you go. Uh, check out your, your local Harley uh, dealer for their new used and uh, refurbished, or I guess uh, what the car manufacturers call them, certified pre-owned uh, Harley-Davidson's uh, that they're going to be keeping on the lots uh, to try to get attract uh, just a younger, you know, younger following, trying to refresh their, their, uh, their following as far as clientele go. As far as COVID, so uh, Trudeau's come out and uh, talked about uh, the vaccine updates. They're getting the 1.5 million doses of Pfizer's uh, COVID-19 vaccine delivered this month and another 2 million doses that was only supposed to arrive in the summer, uh, but coming earlier. 
Uh, but that being said, also the pass-through benefits start to be distributed uh, in uh, in Canada. I know Ontario made a big announcement. They're going to be doing it through the pharmacies. Uh, again, the AstraZeneca one does not be have to uh, have that uh, sub-zero freezing. Uh, so, you know, being able to store that at a local pharmacy is easier. Uh, and the big thing we're seeing now, especially with Johnson & Johnson coming online, it was approved just last week uh, here in Canada, is uh, we're actually now have the supply. So we were delayed uh, quite a bit earlier on in the rollout of the vaccine uh, of trying to get supply. Now the real challenge is going to be the logistics of getting it to people. I know we uh, we started mass vaccination here in BC this week. I've had a couple of clients tell me that they have managed to book their appointments. And you know, other than a really long wait on the phone to try to get through because they, I don't think they've turned on the website bookings yet. Uh, I think that it's still a call in uh, booking here anyway, uh, that, uh, you know, the wait time was about two hours, but once they got through, they were managed to get appointments. I spoke to someone yesterday uh, and they got an appointment for March 13th. So not a bad turnaround as far as getting in there. Uh, and on top of that, as mentioned, Ontario sounds like AstraZeneca is going to go through the pharmacies and that's going to be much more open because AstraZeneca uh, is not recommended for those over 65. So they're going to bring other age groups in. And of course, if we get the Johnson & Johnson one in, uh, again, that's a single dose standard refrigeration um, and uh, the supplies there are looking very promising from J&J &J, um, now that they're approved here in Canada. So now it's a matter of if, can we have the, the uh, systems in place to get people vaccinated, but it's looking a bit more promising that we can actually ramp up those, uh, those, uh, you know, those estimates of when, uh, when we'll be able to get people vaccinated in Canada. It is looking more positive uh, for summertime uh, at least being available to everybody. And uh, I know on my, my personal st uh, standpoint, I'm really watching that September. I've got, uh, I've got my two boys heading back to university or one starting university and one heading back for September. And uh, I'm really hoping for them that they can, uh, they can go there with at least, you know, some sort of normalcy uh, as far as that experience is gonna go and, and interactions. So, uh, so we're, the, the number, actually it's looking really good for, uh, for those summer dates uh, to have available. Now we just have to make sure that everybody gets out there. Uh, so uh, looking at the US uh, for, the, for this upcoming week, uh, we're looking at the, uh, to, to look at the small business optimist the optimism index for February. Uh, January's number was really good at 95. Not surprising with the rollout, especially when we look into the US, uh, as we mentioned before, their vaccine rollout has been going faster than we've seen here in Canada. The numbers are looking really good. Uh, of course, uh, Florida and Texas completely reopening again, uh, taking all governmental restrictions off anyway. Individual businesses, you know, of course, still have the opportunity to uh, put any mask requirements that they want to have in place, but there's no governmental uh, restrictions or mask requirements in those two states as of now. Uh, <clears throat> maybe a little bit early, a lot of debate around that. Uh, you know, even the president kind of uh, thought it was a bit early, but uh, but either way, the U.S. is checking along. So that optimism is translating, especially for the smaller businesses, not just the ones you know had who've been struggling and you know hopefully returning to. Uh, to uh, opportunity to grow again or get things back on track, but also we're seeing you know a lot of new small business, businesses coming in, taking advantage of technologies, 
we've talked about disruptive technology uh, coming in to establish industries. And we say disruptive, I don't mean new. Uh, you know, I think a lot of industries have been guilty of not taking advantage of technologies that have been around for a long time. Uh, and what we're seeing because of the pandemic, because, you know, force, forcing people basically to accept those, those technologies into day-to-day -day business, um, we're seeing that disruption happen. So uh, small businesses being able to leverage that, uh, be way more efficient, more cost-effective, and, and access new markets. And there's a lot of business around, or sorry, a lot of opportunity around small businesses as we come out of this. Uh, as we mentioned, the, uh, the Federal Reserve and the, uh, the Dallas Bank, uh, you know, expected to have some conversations around some global issues, uh, talking about the, uh, the global perspective uh, on, on the banking. Uh, we talked about the agriculture side, but they're also going to be talking about, uh, you know, inflation and how that's being managed and, and what their targets are. Uh, Mexico's national statistics agency is expected to show the consumer price index. Um, we're expecting numbers around 3.32. So, you know, that is above kind of generally the 3% target rate we would have in Canada or max target rate we'd have here in Canada or the US. Mexico's always runs a bit higher uh, than, than us, just being a, a more growth economy versus a more mature, stabilized economy like ours. Um, but that is still a higher number for them in, in recent years, and they're, they're growing at about uh, 0 0.38, 0 0.35, 36 a month. So um, pretty aggressive growth rates, and if that continues, uh, obviously inflation is not good for any economy over the long, long run. And uh, developing countries like uh, Mexico or growth country, growth economies like Mexico, uh, you know, it's even harder on them uh, where they've been heavily impacted by hyperinflation in the past. Uh, and of course, the Reddit meme stock, game stock, never, uh, never ceases to go away. Uh, they've, they've seen shares surge again uh, over the last week. Uh, today, topping over $246, I think was the max I saw. Uh, I think it pulled back to about $230. Um, you know, and this is really a four dollar price of stock, um, and, and that's not being a short seller. That's not you know uh, being one of these hedge funds calls. That's just you know looking at that business, <coughs> excuse me, and looking at their opportunity. Um, given that uh, game manufacturers and game producers have switched to a subscription model, so an online uh, delivery model of, of uh, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but a high percentage of the games. Uh, very few people go out and buy the physical games anymore. Um, so, you know, their whole model of having a brick and mortar go by the, uh, the physical game uh, type of shop uh, was, was hard hit prior to the pandemic. And of course, with the pandemic, uh, that's even closed things even further. Uh, so that, you know, this surge again, it is, it, it is on these, uh, uh, call it Reddit or, or, you know, people try to drive it up, uh, you know, artificially through volumes uh, and not really on underlying value. So uh, where this is going to end, I, as I've said, through this whole scenario, we're not sure. I just, uh, I just feel bad for those people who are out buying it at the higher prices because someone's going to get stuck with it in the end um, and uh, you just don't want to be one of them. So that's that's what we're seeing on the GameStop right now. There is even more concern that now that they're getting people are getting the stimulus check, they might use it to 
and drive it up a bit more. Uh, anyway, moving on from that, uh, Jet Lease in, uh, in a shakeup with uh, two of the largest uh, leasing companies for, for aircraft and airliners. Uh, Aerocap and uh, GE are discussions to maybe tie up a uh, or forge a, a merger or a, a joint venture to create a, a, a Titan or one of the largest uh, leasing companies out there uh, with over 2,000 jets. Uh, this is obviously on the back end of the pandemic. They were hard hit. I mentioned before, uh, airlines don't own their jets or their planes. They tend to lease. Uh, and they lease it from obviously mainly these two companies. And uh, so as, as uh, airline, airline companies have canceled orders and reduced their fleet, uh, that's affected these leasing companies dramatically. So they're, they're looking at how they can come out of this in, in better shape and take advantage of you know, the renewed, um, the renewed uh, return to travel and as people, uh, sorry, as airlines start to add jets back to the fleet again. McAfee is looking at selling their enterprise business for $4 billion. So they're looking to sell to Symphony Technology. Uh, again, just mergers and acquisitions. We've seen a high amount of activity over the last year. Uh, and McAfee, which does um, computer security, uh, is looking at taking their enterprise uh, business or their corporate uh, solution business, uh, packaging that up and selling it off to uh, Symphony. Uh, to take some cash in for, for a different direction or more growth for the company down the road. Tesla lost more than $244 billion, uh, in the last month uh, as their rally filled, fizzled. So we've talked about this. I've done a vi video on Tesla being a, a high growth stock, uh, high flying returns uh, in the last year. Uh, well, in this recent uh, runoff in the markets, as I mentioned, tech was hit a little bit harder. And of course, the, the, the stocks that had bigger growth over the last six months uh, had bigger drops in the last few weeks. And uh, Tesla took a big one uh, in, uh, in their stock price dropping about $500 a share from 900 or so. Uh, today though, rallying back a bit, back up $100 a share. So it's back over 650 a share. Today, uh, we'll see where that, 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 that movement goes. But yeah, Tesla's uh, was definitely caught in this recent sell-off uh, on the tech side of things. Panasonic is looking to buy Blue, Blue Yonder again, more M&A. So they're looking to build, build out some more of their uh, technology. They like uh, Panasonic being one of the biggest uh, electronic manufacturer firms uh, in the world. Uh, and they're looking to uh, do one of their biggest acquisitions since 2011 uh, on, the, on the Japanese company Blue Yonder to add to that manufacturing uh, component of their business. Up in Canada, uh, Bank of Canada's you know, is still resisting investors' expectations for a rate hike. So I'm one of those. If you've, you know, we've talked about inflation and interest rates, uh, Bank of Canada and the US Fed and many of the uh, global banks have, uh, you know, definitely committed to a strategy of not using interest rates to offset inflation for as long as possible. Uh, they do have kind of this three-year target in mind uh, I think that's very aggressive, that, you know, given how much inflation has been moving uh, and can potentially move over this next year, um, you know, whether they'll, they'll be able to wait three years before using interest rates to offset um, inflation. Uh, the calls are, you know, perhaps into next year, so a year down the road, they'll have to start to use it. They're saying no, 
Um, they're still shooting for that three-year target. They really want to offset uh, high unemployment first, uh, which excuse me, 100% agree with. The employment has to be tackled, especially here in Canada, where it's a bit higher uh, before they, they start doing that. But I, I, I don't think that I'm, I don't think that three-year target's achievable. However, I do think one year and potentially uh, going in, maybe make it to the second year before they have to use interest rates as a high foot. For now, they're holding their their ground, saying no. They're still shooting for the, the three year mark. Uh, Canada's uh, also eyeing some tighter rules on you grow your own pot producers. So in the uh, cannabis sector, of course, there is some rules if, uh, to, that you're allowed to grow your own for medical purposes. Um, but we've seen, you know, whether uh, and I'm actually not entirely uh, certain of the limit that you're allowed to. Uh, obviously, it's for personal use, not for resale. Uh, but we're still seeing a lot of that exception being used to feed into black market uh, inventories. Uh, and, uh, you know, as Canada has moved to legalization, they, you know, the big part of that was to move away from the black market and, and, and go to uh, the controlled, um, controlled market for all the reasons why they legalized it, uh, you know, whether it be taxation, quality control, um, you know, uh, regulation and, and such. Uh, the black market still seems to be thriving and uh, Canada's looking at ways they can cut that off a little bit. Uh, Canada's taking the next steps to uh, to look at a feminist budget. So let's, uh, I think this theme came out yesterday, of course, was International Women's Day. Um, uh, we did a video uh, um, that should be launched. I hope it was launched yesterday. I, I did get it out later in the day, so hopefully it wasn't launched yesterday, uh, launched today about women invested. Obviously, they, they face um, unique challenges, maybe not uh, all obvious. Uh, so we took a deep dive into that in, uh, in our radio yesterday. But also, you know, uh, there's obviously the equality in the workforce. Uh, but uh, the pandemic has actually affected women even harder uh, as, when it comes to the, the financial outcome. So uh, the budget is going to be geared to take that into account to make sure that those inequalities are being addressed as much as possible through the budget. Uh, and of course, hopefully setting the stage for even more equality moving forward. So it's going to be looking at addressing that uh, gender gap and gender inequalities that uh, came out during the pandemic. Uh, so this will be our first budget post-pandemic, of course, and it's been delayed a bit. Um, uh, we didn't have one last year uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, and this one, uh, which was supposed to come out here in early March, has been pushed out a little bit further uh, as they still deal with many of these issues and data coming out of the pandemic. As far as the Forex goes, the US dollar turned down lower a little bit. Uh, again, just doing that trend, uh, when markets go down, the dollar goes up, the market goes up, the dollar goes down. Uh, so it turned around a little bit of uh, a 15 week high, uh, not a year high, but mean, but a short term high where it had rallied up a little bit after the elections uh, and, and started to move down a little bit uh, further. And we also saw the treasury yields edge down uh, after they rose about 1.6, which I mentioned last week. Uh, it, this also lifted the euro a little bit against the U.S. currency, where it had shown some weakness in the last, uh, last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, still, though, still looking at that longer trend trend with the U.S. dollar uh, facing some uh, facing some downward pressures in the recovery. Uh, and, and the euro, of course, facing inflationary pressures. 
the oil uh, we saw a rise last week. Actually, a uh, new call on oil for uh, for this year is $72 a barrel. Uh, so that's pretty optimistic. Uh, definitely higher than uh, short term will justify, but uh, we'll have to take a, a really close look at how things start to reopen post-vaccine uh, and how quickly people turn to flying again. Uh, that's one of, you know, airlines are one of the biggest users of fossil fuels uh, as far as demand goes. Uh, we did see some good reports out of the OPEC plus meetings kind of indicating that people were on board. There were some discussions of opening things back up a bit more. So we did see some early uh, pullbacks in oil price, but that's turned around since. Um, and uh, as mentioned, the outlook is now about $72 a barrel. Gold rose, again, uh, inflationary numbers. Uh, coming up, although we have still seen a gold fall out of investor investors' favor, I do think this is a uh, impatience. Uh, you know, uh, gold for the last six months, um, you know, has been touted as the inflation hedge. It hasn't performed it's flat, uh, slightly down, mostly flat uh, over that last six months. Um, still think it's a good investment. Uh, again, as I mentioned, though, it shouldn't be a uh, over-speculation position in the portfolios. Uh, it should definitely be uh, represented in there. Uh, we started uh, eight, nine months ago with it in the portfolios uh, at a couple of percent. We did back that off down to 1%. We have re-increased it back up again because uh, we do think inflation is now starting to um, you know, show its ugly head and uh, it's going to affect things coming up. So I wouldn't be too dissuaded or too discouraged uh, if you do have some gold investments out there, uh, you know, inflation is not going away. So now let's take a look at value stocks versus growth. I keep on saying this theme, so I thought it'd be worthwhile today talking about what exactly are those. And, and to simply define it, you know, value stocks are basically seen as stocks that on average have a lower valuation or PE valuation, price earnings valuation, than the broad S&P uh, 500. And growth stocks tend to have above average growth rates. Uh, compared to the S&P 500 overall. So, you know, some stocks will fall into this gray zone in between the two. Um, and you really have to kind of look at the underlying reason why you're buying them, what the outlook is for them. Uh, so, you know, typically mature businesses are valued. They tend to have small, you know, lower growth rates. They have growth rates, uh, but much steadier and less speculative. So less choppy, you know, Tesla would be a great example of choppy movements. Uh, relatively stable earnings and revenues. So that's stable revenue growth year over year or quarter over quarter. Uh, and they tend to pay dividends. They don't all have to. Um, it's not a, a set in stone kind of rule, uh, but it tends to be a typical, uh, because of those steady earnings and steady earnings growth, they tend to pay off or throw off some of those, uh, some of those dividends, or sorry, some of those earnings out in dividends. Uh, whereas a gross stock, uh, tends to take those extra earnings to reinvest in more growth, right? You know, whether they're opening more stores, expanding uh, uh, manufacturing, uh, or doing R&D, uh, but they spend, you know, spend a lot of money moving, a lot of time moving uh, that profit into more growth down the road. Uh, you know, a long time example would be McCormick, you know, 130 year old spice manufacturer uh, would be clearly a, a, a value stock versus Tesla, as I mentioned, very much a growth stock, much more volatile, higher returns in the good times, higher drops in the bad times. But that gray area, Apple and, and Microsoft kind of fall into both those camps, both paying dividends, 
uh, both have a stable long-term growth uh, in earnings uh, and in revenues, uh, but they also spend a lot of money on R&D and, and, and growth and new markets. Um, so at times they can act as a growth stock and at other times they can act as a value. So when you're buying it, what you have to look at, are you buying, would you invest into Apple? Because uh, you know, their stock price did come down in a recent uh, sell-off. Uh, do you buy that? Cause you find that, you know, that value cheap. They have solid uh, revenue growth and earnings uh, that will slowly come back and you'll take advantage of that. Or are you hoping that the next iPhone is going to be revolutionary and, and spike sales and see massive short-term growth. So it really depends on what you're buying it for. It's how you define uh, value versus uh, growth. Uh, we do believe value is going to turn into favor in 2021. Uh, we've already started to see that even through this recent sell-off, the growth stocks were hitting a lot harder um, than the values. Uh, and that's mainly because of the performance over the last year. 2020 was definitely a growth stock year. 2021 definitely favored value uh, and, and, and doesn't mean your whole portfolio has to be valued. Diversification is always a great idea, um, but maybe maybe focus uh, a little bit more on value and uh, and even in the growth names you look in, you're looking for, maybe find some growth names that also have some value tendencies to them uh, to be a little bit safer in the portfolios. Uh, the point uh, the point of value investigation is really find companies trading at a discount to their intrinsic value. Now that's not easy to you know the, the best example I can give you is if someone's willing to sell you a loony or a dollar for eighty cents, uh, and you'll get that dollar in a year's time. That's buying value. Uh, you kind of know there's going to be revenue there. You know there's there's assets there's uh, asset there that you can uh, always trade in along the way, um, and it, it, it's steady. Um, it, it's less inflation affected. A lot of value companies like utility companies, uh, you know, their rates are, you know, go up with inflation. Power, for example, uh, your power rates will increase if inflation increases. So the company's cash flow is protected from inflation uh, because they, of course, can just pass those costs on to the consumers. So when you look at value, look for that, look for um, supply chain type of investments. Uh, P.E. ratios or price to earnings ratio is one of the key indicators for value, but it shouldn't be the, the end all and be all. It's kind of a starting point. Uh, and that's where, you know, we simply calculated by dividing the company stock price by its last 12 months earnings. Uh, and is that P.E. below that S&P 500? Well, that's the first kind of filter to say, hey, this might be value. Uh, but be careful of value traps. Value traps are, uh, you know, stocks are on a steady decline for a real reason. Uh, and yes, their PE might show up as cheap, but there might be a very good reason for that uh, low price to earnings. And uh, it, it could very well be going lower. So be careful of a value trap. Uh, what you're looking for is a, uh, a value because it just happens to be out of favor at the moment, but the, the business is solid and the business outlook is solid and returning as well. The PEG ratio, the PE ratio, which is adjusted for growth. So this is just taking the PE ratio and divided by their uh, by their growth. Um, and this is just gives you a bit more apples to apples because different sectors and different companies grow at different rates. So if you look at their value versus their growth rates, uh, that gives you a better idea and say, okay, well, how fairly is this price given? How fast is companies growing? If the company's growing 6% per year, um, it, it, it's going to be valued differently versus a company that's growing 10% per year. So you need 
obviously more value for that 6% growth rate versus the 10% growth rate. So just another way to look at things, price to book ratio. So just think of this as the book value. So that's the, the value of the company's stock working today and they just sold off the assets to its current price trading. So what multiple is that? Uh, and again, that's just to give you an example of where it is compared to its peers. Don't compare a tech company to uh, industrial manufacturer. Their price to books and their PEs are going to be very, very, very different. Uh, look within the industry. Is this particular, um, you know, is this particular company trading cheaper to the overall sector? And then wonder why, right? You know, as I said, is there a, fu a fundamental reason that that company's trading lower? Maybe there's problems. Maybe they have. Uh, debt issues, maybe um, you know they lost clientele. But if the you know if their business is growing and the outlook is really strong, that could be a good value buy. You know, buying it on the cheap, letting it come back, let it catch up to its sector. And if that sector is is doing well, uh, you'll get that additional growth on top of it. So some of the ones we do like uh, it's in our portfolios and been for a while. Procter and Gamble. Uh, I know this is a no-brainer name when it comes to value, but Procter and Gamble is you know. Almost, you walk through your house, you're going to find uh, almost everything that they, half the stuff you own is made by them. Uh, Gillette, Tide, Downey, Crest, Bees, Bounty, Paper Towels, even under other names. Uh, you read the fine prints on the back of your labels and it will say Procter & Gamble product. You'll see that. Uh, they've had uh, reliable dividends, uh, increasing payouts in its annual dividends for almost 60 years consecutively. Uh, this is a, just your typical value play. It's a poster child textbook uh, value play and great in the, in the, in the portfolio through all markets. Uh, and the other one, taking its sister. So everything that's in your house that wasn't made by Procter & Gamble, it's probably made by Johnson & Johnson. Uh, you know, Band-Aid, Tylenol, Neutrogena, Listerine, Benadryl, just, you know, very few. Again, go check out the back of, uh, back of your, your medicine cabinets or your, your household products. And you're going to find Jane J or Procter and Gamble on most of these things. And same idea: steady dividend, steady growth over time, um, massive, massive producer. Even if they see uh, problems in in one of their product lines, uh, they make it up in another one. Uh, and of course, with Jane J, of course, coming out with their new uh, vaccine, uh, you know, just another reason to to have it in the portfolio. We've had it for for several years. Uh, continues to perform well for the portfolio, and our outlook continues to be strong on that. So uh, with that, I'm going to uh, call it for the day. Uh, but if you have any questions on value investing or anything that's going on in the market, go to micamoney.com, reach out to me. If you have any names that you want to talk about, uh, you know whether they're value or growth or how they might fit into the portfolio, um, or just look at your portfolio or discuss your portfolio uh, you know, as to what your mix of value and growth is, Again, just reach out. We're happy to discuss um, and, and review that for you uh, or even just answer any questions. Uh, but with that, I'm going to let you run and uh, enjoy. Uh, we've got another sunny day here in Vancouver. We've got to enjoy these as much as possible. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Take care, everyone, and talk soon.